Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio and show number 512 in our weekly series. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We are out there raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups are developing research, publishing case studies and shining a light on the great practice that's going on out there. You can visit engageforsuccess.org to learn more and while you're there, why not sign up for our weekly newsletter so you never miss out on any of our great free resources, events and updates. And I'm Andy Gorham, your host for today's show and founder of BizJuicer, an employee engagement and retention uh, consultancy that helps companies define, create and sustain enabling cultures where their talent stays and thrives and delivers repeatedly fabulous brand experiences for the customers. Now today, we're going to tackle a huge trio of topics in just 30 minutes. So strap in as we look at climate, culture and conflict. Now when we look at the world of work today, and how it's evolving, and if we really want to build and sustain great cultures, which is chock full of people who love what they do and feel like they get the chance to do their best work every day, ask yourself this. Are we really doing the right things consistently? Have we got the right processes and systems to deal with conflict successfully and keep people engaged? Do we provide the right support and training to develop broad ownership, leadership, mindset and the focus needed to build enabling cultures and a work environment or climate that drives engagement, retention, productivity, innovation, continuous learning and of course business performance. I mean there's a huge set of questions there and with me today to sift through it all is David Little who'll be examining these three areas through the lens of his 30 years work as a facilitator, a mediator, a coach, a leader and an accomplished author. Welcome to the show, David. Oh, Andy, I'm chuffed to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, fab to have you here, my friend. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure we could fit any more C's into our title today, but <laughs> climate, culture, and conflict. I mean, that is an awful lot to get through in 30 minutes, my friend. I, for one, am really looking to hear your views on these things, but I didn't really give you too much of an intro there. And before we start, how about giving us just a little bit of insight into your, into your background and, and how we're here today? Uh, fantastic. Well, I like to say, Andy, thanks so much for having me. And these are big topics um, that we need to be focusing on in our organisations. And I guess one of the areas we'll talk about today and how they're underpinned by a sense of justice in our workplaces and how that sense of justice makes us feel at work, Andy, and how that, that, those feelings affect how we behave and how we interact with each other and how we respond to each other and how those behaviours and the actions and feelings and responses begin to shape the climate that I work within and how those climates aggregate uh, to, to form the culture. So this is a really important conversation, probably never more important in terms of the ge geopolitical situation we're, we're living in right now, surrounded by conflicts, wars, tensions, disagreements and, and violence. And of course, within our organisations, the rise of the toxic culture uh, as much as people's experiences and harmful experiences of bullying and discrimination uh, and conflict in the workplace. So how did I get into this, Andy? Well, I'm going to go back to 1980s, late 1980s. I enrolled on a degree in race and community relations, which I absolutely loved. 
fascinated by the areas of engagement, inclusion, exclusion, not just from an individual level, but also from a, a societal, structural and institutional level. And I studied um, the nature of racism within the police and I looked at how the police and the, and the media had, had, had um, criminalised mugging as a black crime, for instance, very much at the kind of um, at the forefront of thinking really about the notion of institutional racism. Uh, I then went to work in Leicester, in the wonderful city of Leicester in the East Midlands and set up a charity, um, following a bit of time in a stint as a community participation and engagement officer, engaging hard to reach communities in social and economic regeneration programs. But I saw the first hand the damage and the impact of, of conflict in society within communities, between families, between neighbours at war, Andy, you know the kind of stuff. Um, and you know, you and, and I, I would, you know, Andy, like I have seen in many organisations, the response within our communities. I'm talking here in the early 1990s, but I guess for some communities it may feel it's never got much better. It was woefully ineffective. Um, the response of many organisations to this stuff was to wish it away and hope it wouldn't happen. And when they couldn't ignore it any longer, was to go in heavy-handed and often take a very retaliatory or punitive approach to these issues. So I set up anyway. Quick story: I set up a mediation and restorative justice charity, one of the first in the UK, uh, really pioneering the use of restorative practices in communities and schools and prisons uh, and in, in the criminal justice system. And after running the charity for seven years, I did an MBA. And then I set up my own company, the TCM Group, to, to start delivering these services into organisations. This is 22 years ago now. So people used to think I was delivering medication to the organisation or medi <laughs> meditation. And we'd sit there in a little corner. Um, but people were very confused about mediation, Andy. They didn't know what it was. Of course, that's changed a bit. It's better. There's definitely more focus on mediation. Um, but the last 22 years, I've got a team of 17 here in London in, in our head office. I've got an office in New York, and we have around 100 consultants working globally, not just to mediate in disputes, but to identify the root source of issues, which are often cultural. Um, they can be around the, the relationship between colleagues and very much focusing on HR systems and the rules that we have in our workplaces for resolving issues. So I've created 10 companies within the 10, uh, TCM group to pretty much resolve almost every relational behavioral uh, issue an organization could have. Wow. I mean, this is why I love doing what I get to do and talking to some fascinating people. What a background. <laughs> fascinating stuff. Um, uh, thank you. we got a lot to get through, David, so I am <laughs> going to plow on if that's okay. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. Um, so when you think about the, the challenges I sort of laid out in the introduction at the start of the show and this engaged, I guess, end game that we're looking for, and I guess listening to what you've just sort of said and your background in mediation, um, what do you see as the issues and opportunities that are out there right now when it comes to things like systems and processes that we're using to manage conflict? And when you walk into a business, when your consultants walk into a business, are you seeing just people who are undertrained, underprepared, um, or, or is there something much deeper behind the issues that everybody's facing? Yeah, I mean, it's actually both. Yeah, under-trained, under-prepared. I, I often talk about the culture in a great many organisations, Andy, of being extensive inaction, and when that doesn't work anymore, expensive over-reaction. So to mm. one extent, you know, the failure to, 
to build that capability and capacity in line management and, and leadership and, and so on and so forth is, is, a, is a significant issue. But Andy, I think it goes much deeper than that. I think we've built many of our justice models in our organisations around a very retributive form of justice, a very punitive sanction-based model of justice. It centres around the principles of identifying a wrongdoer, blame, shame, punish, and in great many organisations, destroy. And that blame, shame, punish, destroy justice paradigm, if I can use the term paradigm here or model, um, actually it, it, it stalks through our organisations like a creep, a thief through the night. It steals engagement. It, it makes off with the well-being. It undermines happiness. It seeds and plants the seeds of division and toxicity in our organisations. And yet retributive justice is the primary system of justice that permeates like a canker through our HR policies and processes. Blame, shame, punish, destroy. Yet we say to our people, be the best version of yourselves, be the most brilliant version of yourselves. Yet when people experience the rules-based systems in our workplaces, well, they're exposed to one of the most traumatic, destructive, harmful, corrosive, pernicious, traumatic, blame-inducing, fear-inducing systems that one could ever imagine going through. And when I speak to people who've been through these systems and processes, these are the rules, Andy, the paradox can't be lost on us. These are the rules that are designed to keep us safe in the workplace. Mm. But for a great many people who've been through these processes, they tell me the process of resolving the issue, whatever that might be, was more traumatic than the issue itself that caused us to invoke the process. So well, that's telling, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's telling, but I hold my head in my hand and I say to myself, and I say to, you know, I'm in a very fortunate position. I work at a very senior level in a great many organizations here globally. And the, and the great news is, Andy, people are listening. But as a mediator and you know, as, as, as being out there in the field and talking to people and running cultural audits and diagnostics, it's not getting as much better as, as quickly as, as it could. And I hold my head in my hands and I say, what are you doing to your people? Why have we created this structure and system that's blaming, shaming, punishing and destroying when actually we could listen and engage and understand and gain insight and learning and bring people together and find cooperative, successful outcomes that don't just resolve the issue, Andy. They don't just create a more engaged workforce. Actually, by doing so, they underpin learning, growth, insight that drives creativity and innovation. And I would go as far as to say the rules-based system in our workplaces doesn't just have a neutral impact in terms of how people perceive it. It undermines relationships. But I would go as far as to say it undermines the essence of what an organization's purpose is which is to drive growth, innovation, creativity, deliver meaningful work, is undermined when we fall out and disagree and underperform and, and, and do something which the organization perceives as, as wrong, is at those moments, unfortunately, that we experience the very worst of justice in our workplaces. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by your use of the word justice here as well, because that's a, it's a pretty strong forthright word. How do people react when you use that word in in the work sense david is, is this um are, are people ready for that word do they see that word is it is it i don't know i'm not quite sure what i'm even trying to ask here but it just feels like a it's it's not a word i came across a lot when i was in my in my corporate career as it were 
Yeah. Um, is it is it becoming more in the lexicon of business now? Justice. I mean, fairness, I guess, was was always there, but justice feels, you know, so much stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we justice exists in our organisations. That's why we have HR departments. That's why we have mm. policies, processes, rules, and systems. But what we actually find when we when we actually start to unpack this, and I think to your question, Andy, people go, "Do you know, David, we're not thinking about this." Mm. And I say to them, "If you're not thinking about this, then what are you thinking about?" Because justice is the is the centerpiece, is the core, it's the it's the key feature of culture. It defines how I feel. It defines how I connect with others. It defines how problems are resolved. It defines how I, how I behave towards others, how I make others feel and how they make me feel. And, the, and, and, if, and I've, my, my, I've written a number of books on this topic, but in, in, in one of my recent books, Transformational Culture, I tried mm. to tease out this, this notion of what is culture. And culture is a very personal, subjective thing, Andy. It's about how I feel about being at work. It's about those behaviors, that sense of connection. And at the heart of that is how I'm treated, but particularly how I'm treated when things go wrong. Mm. And if we don't focus on the area of justice when things have gone wrong and create positive emotions, powerful connections, driving behavioral change, we're missing an opportunity for driving uh, cultural change within our organizations. So for organizational leaders, HR leaders, chief HR officers, executive leaders, managers, and others within organizations who are, who, who are, who are scratching their heads thinking, how do I drive cultural change within my organization you have to start by focusing on what are the justice systems within your organization because we can't talk about a compassionate healthy harmonious happy workplace yet drag people to the gates of hell when things go wrong people can see the paradox people call out the hypocrisy people challenge that within our organizations they don't increasingly speak truth to power so justice doesn't just then center around creating a great workplace culture. It doesn't just resolve, address issues of, of relationship breakdown. It doesn't just impact on people's experience of the workplace in terms of engagement and happiness and health and harmony. It's about attracting the top talent. It's about attracting the top customers. It's about attracting the top investors. So the question is, uh, Andy, is if you're not talking about justice, what you're doing is you're subcontracting this broken justice paradigm of retribution. Let's remind ourselves what ret retribution means, Andy. Blame, shame, punish, destroy. Now, if mm. that runs deep through our organizations, the organizations which are getting this right are rejecting that justice model and saying, we want to do something different. We want to do something better. We want to put our people, our purpose, our values at the heart of our justice system. And rather than a, rather than a, a retributive justice system, those restorative principles are brought to play in the organization. And align those restorative principles with natural justice, procedural justice, distributive justice. I've gone about justice for some time. But it's so important. If we don't have those conversations, everything we do within the organization is built around a rules-based system, which is broken, pernicious, corrosive, divisive, damaging, harmful, and traumatic. Is that creating great places for our people to be the best versions of themselves? Uh, yeah, and you would say not. And I think this is the fascinating thing around this topic that we get to talk about um, is that, you know, I guess over the last hundred years or so, and, and watch out, here's the sweeping statement uh, warning for everybody. You know, businesses, I think, have probably mastered the art of, you know, driving revenue through gaining market share and, you know, creating profit by reducing costs. But we are still in the early stages, the opening gambit of really understanding, I think, the people and culture stuff. And I, I think that, 
that is the the part of that trio that has got so much work to do which is why I'm I'm fascinated to listen to what you're sort of saying here around the whole thing of fairness and justice and its place in the world of business culture um but I I want to sort of get us into some other areas as well if I yeah. can David um so if we think We've got these policies and procedures, um, toxic though they could well be, unless, of course, they're, they're putting in the good prices that, that you would talk about. Um, when we're looking at the people administering or dealing out fairness, justice, I'm just talking about here the managers and leaders and their own behavior. Um, yeah. When you're looking at what's really required here, if we're to deliver this harmonious culture that we just both talked about, what what is needed from the leadership, from the managers, from your perspective? What 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 makes this stuff work better? I think the, the the starting point is a real sense of collaboration. I often talk about the triumvirate, the kind of heads of state in our organisations, the people function, the management function, and of course the employee and their employee representatives. So the starting point for me and the organisations who I think are doing culture right and getting culture. Uh, doing culture well are organizations which build collaborative systems whereby we answer this question who owns the culture of the organization now some people would say no one owns the culture it just defi- it just develops um, naturally others would say well actually the leaders define the culture others would say it's HR so we need to answer the question who owns culture in our organization so that what we see organizations doing is to develop what we call culture hubs or transformational culture hubs Sandy bringing together all of these key players to start to identify what are the key enablers of a positive culture, the purpose of the organization, the values of the organization, the leadership and management behaviors, as you rightly say. We're seeing more and more um, HR departments transitioning to people and culture teams. And when I launched peopleandculture.com earlier this year, it's rapidly grown to be a significant feature for a great many. Over 50% of HR departments that we surveyed, around uh, 250 respondents, had already made the shift from HR to a people and culture team. So we're actually working with HR uh, professionals, people professionals, to look at the role that they play in bringing together the different stakeholders, the employee, management, and union. And that requires a rethink around the role of the people profession. It requires leaders to, to, to listen, to engage, to understand, to connect with the workforce, to create great places to work where people can be the most brilliant versions of themselves. Well, how do we do that? We do that by empowering them, listening to them, engaging with them, supporting them and nurturing their talents within the organization. So I think the first starting point, Andy, is, is, is to build these powerful, connected structures within the organization which allows everyone to begin having this conversation about what does it mean to work here? What are our core messages? What's our core values, our core values and our purpose? And then spreading that and disseminating that across the organization um, with, again, very much the HR function at the center of that, taking an empowering and facilitative, supportive function. I said the other aspect of it does require a very different conversation between HR and leaders. What's the role of HR? Is it to facilitate, to coach, to mentor and to enable? Or is it to put up systems and processes which protect the employer in the face of potentially an adverse litigation or an adverse tribunal? And that's a really important conversation we need to have in our organizations right now. What's the purpose of HR? 
And more, more and more HR departments are saying their purpose is to coach, to mentor, to mediate, to facilitate, to, to engage, to encourage, to develop and foster these positive, purpose-driven workplace cultures. And it's a really exciting time for our leaders and managers to connect with the, uh, the, their HR uh, teams and HR function more widely and redefine what it means to be a people professional in the modern workplace. So it's a, joint, it's a joint effort, I think, Andy, is what I'm trying to say. It's about everyone getting around the table and doing their bit, but doing so in a joined-up way. And do you see uh, a tremendous amount of energy behind this stuff at the moment, or are people kind of running out of steam? Does it feel too overwhelming? Are you seeing some real positive change? I really am. I mean, as we begin to reject the tired systems and models of the past, which had their place in the past, Andy, but the world's moved on. The pandemic Mm. changed everything. The world tilted on its axis. It continues to tilt on its axis. Climate change is is coming down on us quickly. We can't rely on the tired systems of yesterday to resolve the problems of tomorrow. And that might sound a bit slogany, but it's it's a a truism. It's a fact. (laughs) So as, as the organizations begin to, you know, for, for, for HR to release their vice-like grip on these toxic processes and see that as an opportunity to really lean into and engage with the workforce, to deeply understand and create these moments that matter at work where we can resolve issues constructively, where we can create those um, opportunities for greater insight learning that underpins innovation, so too does the HR function become one of the most, if not the most, strategically important functions in the organization. No longer does the people professional seek to sit, at, uh, strive to take a position at the, at the top table, have a strategic function. The people function is the top table around which others sit to draw learning, insight, and growth. What an exciting possibility. What an exciting range of, uh, of opportunities. And when organizations like the BBC, who we're working with now, and big banks, Aviva, TSB, Burberry, who we're up for a big award with with, with personnel today, when those organizations look at their existing procedures like the grievance procedure, the disciplinary procedure, the performance procedure, these these dreadful um, processes, and they say, look, we want to do something differently, introduce a resolution framework, what I call an integrated people policy where the values and the purpose and the needs of people trump the, pro, the, 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 the focus on policy, process, and procedure. Organizations who do that, I think, create a level of energy and engagement and excitement around the organization that hasn't been seen in a generation. People are tired, 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 tired of the old broken record. Blame, shame, punish, destroy, avoid, mistrust, suspicion, breakdown. That does not run successful organizations of the future. And for those organizations who are, who, who are, who are embracing this change and, and recognizing the time has changed, there is a palpable sense of excitement, togetherness, belonging, drive, and purpose, and a sense of value being created. And you talked about the notion of the, the firm as a, as a generator of state shareholder value. Of course, the real measure of value for for organizations is social value, stakeholder value, and shareholder value. Mm-hmm. And this big focus on what does it mean to be operating in a modern, um, a modern capitalist environment? What are the measures of value? How do we generate value? So value, justice, culture, dialogue, processes, all of these need to be big conversations. We can't just defend these old systems and give them carte blanche to continue existing. We need to, to, to tear them up and challenge them and think differently if we're going to create truly engaged, high-performing, 
fully inclusive, fully engaged modern workplace where we can all shine and be the absolute best version of ourselves. Which sounds like a cracking place to be, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> that's ultimately what we're looking for here. And you, 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 you do tell a very engaging story of change, particularly, you know, for, this, for the HR department of old, because I don't know, in the world of culture, I still think there are too many examples of businesses defaulting culture to the HR department. Yeah. And I don't know what you, what you think about that, but I'm not sure that that is right or fair. Um, but in, in, in your perspective, as you see this progressive HR department going forward, what are some of the, the, the more difficult things that they're having to lean into and help us sort out now? I mean, uh, we, we have, you and I talked before about the interesting world of hybrid working right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, what are you seeing in this area right now, David? Where are HR adding real value to, to the, the, the sticky situation of, of hybrid working? Well, I think that, I mean, the first thing I would say to answer that question in terms of where you know, the people profession is moving and adding real value is I think the first thing is it's just finding a new life. It's finding a new purpose. And I think by rejecting the old policies of the past and embracing something new, it's just, it brings, someone said to me the other day, this is why I came into HR, David. And I was like, yes, I know, this is what it's Great. about. So let's look at the employee value proposition just for a moment now. Think about the EVP and look at all of the different stages and aspects of what it means to work in your organization. And I think where HR starts to look at the values, the purpose, the culture of the organization as being assets within that employer branding or the employee value proposition, which is improving employee experience across the piece, whether it's through hybrid working or our recruitment processes, our onboarding procedures, our talent um, development processes, almost every aspect of our organization, what the people function is able to do is by bringing purpose and values and a person-centric methodology into each of those, is adding enormous value. So suddenly hybrid working, which for many organizations has, has been like walking, like walking through treacle, but for others who are getting it right, they know hybrid working is a have your cake and eat it policy mm. or approach mm. you can get the best of all worlds when it's managed well and the question is is when it's managed well what does it look like it's underpinned by trust ongoing constant communications transparency openness and where the people function can underpin transparency and openness accountability and build a culture of trust and again excuse the jargon uh, uh, here but develop a social contract within the organization or the department or the division, based on those principles, hybrid working no longer is a problem that we have to solve. It's no longer an issue we need to overcome. It's driving and, and, and creating value within the organization for our people, for our managers, for our customers, and for others within the organization. And at the heart of that does require a, a, a shift, a, a, a significant shift in the way that we think about how we run the organization. And so these, these problems of yesteryear become the opportunities of the future, but only with new thinking, only with a new approach, only with a focus on fairness and justice, on inclusion, on sustainability. We can't ignore sustainability as a key feature. But when we bring all of those principles in, into play and where the HR function brings those into, whether it's a conversation about hybrid working or or any other aspect of growing or, or managing your organization, a merger or acquisition or so on and so forth, then that, those become the antecedents of high performance. And I go back to my earlier point, Andy, where the people function and HR function can bring people together and mobilize that high performance, they become 
strategically the most important function in our organization. And wow, why would you ever go back to how it was when it was walking through treacle, it was unhappy, mistrusting, disengaged. You know, we look at some of the wonderful work from Engage for Success, but we could think about our, our levels of inclusion, we could think about the levels of health and well-being, levels of overall productivity, engagement. So many of those metrics on our dashboard are flashing amber, or indeed in some cases flashing red. So how can we begin to get them to flash green? People, purpose, values, that's what gets that dashboard flashing green. You're speaking my language, David. You're filling me up with plenty of joy and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. I love that. And I think that's, for our HR colleagues, I think that, that definitive flag in the strategy camp there and all the things you've talked about is really what we're looking for. Unbelievably, we're sort of running out of time and I don't want to let wow. you go before I, I try. I know. I mean, how quick is that? I, I don't want to let you go before I ask you, you know, a, a, a fundamental underpinning question here in the in, in all the things that we've talked about and all the things that you have seen. Um, if you can leave the listeners today with one single piece of advice on how to really make an impact on the seas that we've talked about today, climate, yeah. culture and conflict, what would that one piece of advice be, my friend? Oh, I'm a mediator, and so I'm always going to go back to my mediation 101 because <laughs> I believe it's powerful. Shut up and listen. I mean, that's hard, but I've just done a 30-minute radio show at, at pace. <laughs> but shut up <laughs> listen. Go and give the other person a jolly good listening to. And underpinning that, don't assume malintent. Don't judge them. Don't wag a finger at them. Don't touch at them. Don't go and reach for these horrible policies that are going to give you a route map to the, uh, to the precipice of doom. Walk away and listen. Really hear. Really understand. Seek to understand. Don't seek to defend. And when we listen, you can move mountains. We can identify areas of convergence and divergence, difference, similarity. And with that, we can create these powerful opportunities for growth, wisdom, insight, learning. And as I said earlier, they then underpin innovation, creativity. But it has to start with listening, actively, with true meaning. Wise, wise words, my friend. Thank you so much for that. And unbelievably, that is just about all we have time for today. Don't forget to visit engageforsuccess.org to check out the new show notes and all our fab free engagement resources where you can also download or stream any of the great shows on our archive at your leisure. David, thanks so much for coming and educating me today and sharing your thoughts and experiences. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Andy. You've been a great host. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, my friend. Okay, we'll be back again at the same time next week. I'm Andy Gorham. Thanks for listening to Engage for Success Radio. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.